The framework I always use is awareness, acceptance, action. Coming into that awareness that perhaps your work is not intersectional enough. Perhaps you're not looking at that racism that has been taught to us by systems of oppression. Asking yourself, what are the biases that I've been trained to have without my even realizing it? What are those implicit biases? Really getting honest with yourself has to be the first step. You're listening to Build a Better Wellness Biz. I'm your host, Jeremy Enns. In this episode, I'm talking with... My name is Victoria Albina. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm coming to you from occupied Lenape territory, also known as the Hudson Valley of New York. I am a holistic nurse practitioner, life coach, breathwork meditation facilitator, and host of the podcast Feminist Wellness. In this episode, Victoria and I are going to be exploring the role that feminism and social justice play in building better wellness businesses. This is territory that, for many of us, is extremely uncomfortable. But that doesn't mean it's not important. In fact, our level of discomfort is probably as clear an indicator as any that we have some work to do. For me personally, as a straight, white, cisgender man from Canada with a fairly homogenous network, I feel this discomfort viscerally. Despite my desire and best intentions to do better and to be not just an ally but an accomplice to marginalized people and communities, I've often failed to act in alignment with those professed values often because I don't know how to act or what to say or whether my actions are helping or actually making a situation worse. I'm guessing you might be able to relate as well. That's why I'm so grateful to have the chance to talk with Victoria and work through some of the practical steps that we can all take to make our businesses more inclusive, accessible, and impactful for the people we serve and our communities at large. Victoria and I cover a lot of ground in this episode, including why feminism and social justice are a core part of health and wellness, how to structure your product and service offerings to make them accessible to people and communities who may not otherwise have access to them, and how we can work to acknowledge and reduce the pain we often unknowingly cause with our words and actions, especially when working with people and communities with the history of being systemically oppressed. As you're listening, remember that we all have work to do when it comes to these issues. No one is perfect, and no one expects you to be perfect. What's important is that we're able to acknowledge our current shortcomings and then work to improve them. It's uncomfortable work, but it's essential to healing, not just our clients and our patients, but our communities, countries, and the world. To start the conversation off, I wanted to establish a foundation and ask Victoria how she personally defines feminism. What a great place to start. So I think of feminism as being the framework that all humans of all genders, all socializations, all sorts, right? That every single human animal and this planet all need to be attended to and given equal rights, equal supports, equal love, equal care, and have equal opportunity. So equality, equity, Those are like the sort of main central tenets of feminism to me is beginning to level the playing field, understanding intersectionality, and that different humans in different bodies have been oppressed in different ways, right? So like Black folks in these United States have been oppressed in a different way than white women, for example, for the last, you know, 400 years. And so equity is about raising the bar for everyone, but understanding that different work needs to be done to give those who have been disproportionately oppressed the lift up. 
to where others have always stood. Awesome. I love that definition. So I know that you have a very long, very winding, very circuitous interdisciplinary background that you've been trained in and have studied a whole variety of health-related fields throughout your career. So I'm curious if you could share a little bit about that background and how that background has led you to realize that feminism and social justice actually play a very core part in doing the health and wellness-related work that you help your clients and patients with. Yeah, I have been sort of obsessed with the fight against injustice since I was a very small child. And I have always been drawn to this work sort of since forever. In terms of my health and wellness journey, I come to the work of being a nurse practitioner because I was very sick myself, which is often how this sort of journey goes. So I had wicked irritable bowel syndrome, which I'll translate for the West Coast is hella irritable bowel syndrome. Just important to really respect both coasts. Oh man, dude, I was so sick. There was this real stretch of time when I couldn't sleep lying down because my heartburn was so bad. And the only help I got from the Western medical system was to pop pills and not, not a lot more support than that. So in my 20s, I was lucky enough to go to Oberlin College, which is weirdo school. Thank goodness. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was a great place. And um, I was introduced to the whole world of holistic medicine, herbs, functional nutrition, right? We didn't call it that at the time, right? Herbs, nutrition. And in my first year at Oberlin, took a course called Re-Empowering Women's Health, which was all about looking at the field of health through the lens of equality and looking at intersectionality and intersectional feminism and how women often, human socialized as women, presenting as women in the doctor's office, are often not believed, not trusted. Um, I did a show about hypothyroid as a feminist issue because we're just, we're not believed. And mm -hmm. Black women are believed even less than white women, not surprisingly, uh, when it comes to pain, when it comes to digestive issues. The number of doctors who told me it was all in my head, like I, I can't even begin to count them. So I wanted to find my own way to be of support to humans like myself. I got a master's degree in public health, went to UCSF and trained to be a nurse practitioner, all while practicing as an herbalist. I also trained as a doula and worked as a birth doula and found my way into the functional medicine world because it was the one thing that really helped me to begin to change the course of my life through my health. I thought I had found the holy grail of health, right? By getting to this, what I thought was the root cause in looking at the gut microbiome, methylation, genetics, like all these things that were, yes, the biological root cause, but I have come to understand are not the truest root cause. I really deeply believe that our mindset is the place where we need to be looking when we're talking about health writ large, because the gut microbiome, your digestive function, your thyroid, reproductive health, mood, all of that comes down in so many ways to the function of the vagus nerve. And so through the lens of polyvagal theory and using CBT, positive psychology, these frameworks for looking at our thoughts and how they keep us in that roller coaster of sympathetic activation, back to ventral vagal, into dorsal, back to ventral vagal. I have found the way to heal myself and to bring healing to the folks with whom I work. 
but I think it takes all of it. That's what I've learned in the last 20 years in health and wellness. I had w- really bad parasites. I had blastocystis hominis. I had H. pylori. I mean, I had like, it was like a zoo in my tummy and, <laughs> and it felt like a zoo in my tummy. And we needed to do that work of like murdering the bad guys, supporting the commensals. But the way to keep things rocking and rolling in my digestion the way they should be was once again, looking at my thoughts about myself, codependency, people-pleasing, perfectionism, and the things that were effectively jacking my nervous system day in and day out. So if we look at the migrating motor complex in the small intestine, I had SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. I just, it's, it's like a physics and biology, right? Like if we're not coming to the migrating motor complex, which is the thing that moves food through the small intestine, dumps it into the large, that is profoundly, so delicately, intricately tied to the function of the vagus nerve, which is so tied to stress, so tied to self-worth, so tied to the stories we're telling about ourselves. And if we're not attending there, I just, I don't think there's enough biocidin and oil of oregano and neem on the planet, right? Or like beautiful adaptogens or ginger and artichoke to move the migrating motor complex. Like buckets enough don't exist on this planet if you're not giving the MMC love. Right. Yeah. I I remember listening to something that you were saying on another interview that you had done, how you realized that whether it's treating it a symptom with a drug or an herb, it is basically the same thing that there's still a further underlying issue there. And that realizing that was like, oh, wait, there's still deeper we can go yet. Yes. 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 Because every time, you know, you have a deadline at work and your brain is like, okay, I have to do this perfectly. This has to be an A plus. I need a gold star on this. I need my boss to like me. And then you start spinning in sympathetic activation, fight or flight, your migrating motor complex shuts down because it should, because it thinks you're being chased by a lion, right? And so then you procrastinate, creating more stress, procrastinate, creating more stress. You're not going to be in ventral vagal. The machine cannot work without the vital input of just being more chill, quite frankly. I'm sure no one can relate to who's listening to any of that, what you just talked about there, that, that level oh, totally of stress. Not. No, <laughs> totally not. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. Like getting your charts all signed. Yeah. No, not stressful. <laughs> totally not stressful. Cool. They'll sign themselves. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you have this whole background in training related to feminism and health in that specific context for someone who doesn't have that background What's a good place to start when it comes to treating their patients and their clients, the people they're working with who are from different backgrounds, different genders, different races, all of these different ways or different uh, identities that people might have that are going to affect, you know, where they're starting from and also what kind of specific help they might need? Because I think a lot of people who are listening to this believe that not one size fits all. And that's why they got into probably this work versus more traditional Western work. Uh, A lot of people listening are in the kind of alternative health space. But I think that still doesn't quite go far enough in our minds when we think, oh, people are really starting from a different place than even where I, what I'm thinking of it as. Right. Well, the framework I always use is awareness, acceptance, action. So coming into that awareness that perhaps your work is not intersectional enough. Perhaps you're not looking at that racism that has been taught to us by systems of oppression, right? Like, 
perhaps you are not aware of your own internal uh, white supremacy or your own gender bias or your own bias against queer folks. Perhaps you don't know enough. And if you haven't taken a, a deep dive and done active work to look at these issues, that's where I would start, right? So just asking yourself, what are the biases that I've been trained to have without my even realizing it? What are those implicit biases? And so really getting honest with yourself about that has to be the first step. Yeah, and actually that reminds me of something that our mutual friend Cher Hale mentioned when she was on the show, where she said that once you know better, you do better. Where once you've done the research and it's in front of you, you're like, I can't ignore this anymore. I know this now. There's no putting uh, it back in the box, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, Cher Hale said something that brilliant. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You got to take that look-see and then do the really uncomfortable work of acceptance. Mm -hmm. And so we always joke in my practice that acceptance sucks the most, right? Yeah. Come on. It's the worst step. When you're like, oh, these demons are inside me. I have been trained to think this way, right? Like I just see a body and I assign it a gender. Oh, her, instead of asking. I see a mammal, a human, I assign it a race in my head or I have these preconceived notions, right? And I think that that can be especially hard for people in the wellness world who really probably are doing good and that's why they got into it. And so they, you know, have this idea, like I am doing good. I'm part of the solution. And it, it's hard for anyone. Like, no, the way we've been socialized, we all have these biases. There's nobody who is immune to this. And so everybody listening has some form of bias and I do, and you do, and like, we'll spend our lifetimes working through those things. But I think that it's important to like, yes, you're doing good work now and understand that, but also there's probably more you can do. And there probably are people that you are just completely unaware of and are not serving in any meaningful way. Yeah. And it's so easy, right, to lean on intention versus impact, right? Like, I think intent matters, Right? Like if there's a trans person in your office and you're intentionally misgendering them versus accidentally, yes, that matters, but it really comes down to impact, right? If a person of color, a queer person, a trans person, a woman identified mammal, right? Like an immigrant, if someone from a historically marginalized group tells you you done wrong, right? The impact of your work, your words hurt me. I think it's incumbent upon all of us to to live into that Hippocratic oath of above all, do no harm. And misgendering someone, for example, within a healthcare setting is really painful and really harmful and keeps people from getting healthcare. One of the biggest issues related to social justice in the health and wellness space is access. And there are a couple of ways that this plays out. First off, many people in marginalized communities feel rightfully distrustful of a healthcare system that has a long history of ignoring and mistreating them. With that history, it's no wonder that many of the people in these communities don't seek out healthcare in the first place, even when they need it. The second big issue is financial access. It's no secret that healthcare and wellness services are not cheap. And for many people living in a system that is stacked against them in myriad ways, investing in their own health and well-being is often impossible. Victoria has made accessibility a core part of how she structures her business. 
I wanted to know exactly how she came to the realization that accessibility was an issue she needed to address and how she's built it into her business on a practical level. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for bringing this up. It's it's a huge, vital issue, access, because it is at the core of so many inequalities, structural inequalities, right? From redlining to who lives with lead paint to who has windows that open in their housing, or we could go on it, who lives in a food desert, on and on. Yeah, so my sliding scale uh, offerings are always available. My breath work is always sliding scale. In any course back when we did things in person, there were always people in the class for free, $5, $10, balanced with the people paying $38 or $40, right? Same with my day-longs and my weekend-long intensive breathwork offerings because it's really, really important for those of us who have privilege. So as a white-presenting, white-passing Latina, it's really important to me to recognize the absolute profound privilege I have to code shift right i can i can code switch at any second and i can leverage my privilege in bonding with a latina i can use my privilege to have this accent in english as an esl kid and so yeah just understanding that i have the wild privilege of having come to this country with documents with parents who have the luxury of formal education and everything else I mentioned. To me, it feels like if we are going to stand up and say, I am part of a holistic movement for health, we have to be profoundly holistic, right? Which to me means doing everything we can to make our offerings accessible. Many of my offerings are not accessible. I have a six month course, which the price tag contains many, many zeros. And I always hold at least 20% of that room for sliding scale. I don't ask anyone to justify asking for sliding scale, right? I don't tell them what to pay. I give them a range. We have a conversation based in love and care and gentleness, and we move on. And then there are some things that are even more challenging, right? The cost of supplements, the cost of organic food, right? And so if I can have sliding scale to see me, you know, for a medical visit or in breath work or in life coaching, it's a start. Yeah. So for someone who, who maybe this is a new concept to them and they're interested in this, but there are obviously challenges around it. I think there are fears of once some of your clients realize that other people are, you know, as some people will... Think about that in ways like other people are getting, you know, a, a free pass or are taking advantage of the system or whatever it is. Wow. They might be on board, the practitioner, but they're thinking, well, my clients might give pushback on this. And the other thing would be like, what if you're just starting out and everybody at the start of our businesses, we have a hard time like making ends meet ourselves. So when do you start looking to do this and how, what's like an easy way to set up a way to support people who might not have access otherwise, while also, I mean, taking care of yourself and not putting undue stress on your business and also kind of not presenting it in a way where it makes sense to your other clients as well, that they're not feeling ripped off, that they're paying full price and other people are getting, you know, a discount. Right. Uh, okay. So two things here. One, I always encourage everyone to give from your overflow right? To fill your own cup first, make sure your Maslow is covered, right? And that you are all set. You can pay your staff for three months. That's set. 
And from there, build the sliding scale in. Start with 1% of your business, build up to 5, 10, 20%. And it, it is not lost on me that it is a wild privilege that 20% of my practice can be sliding scale. Like that is not lost on me for a second. So there's that one. And then two, managing the other people feeling ripped off. I frankly am not interested in people who, when working with folks who would think that a black mom living in a rural area, getting a discount after 400 years of institutionalized oppression is ripping them off. Like I, that's, I'm not your practitioner. I'm not the gal for you. And if that is a firmly held belief that someone else, um, that my attempt, attempt to do what little I can to balance the scales is, is somehow disadvantaging you because you have the privilege to pay whatever full price is, there are lots of other places to go. My offering is not that unique. <laughs> you I know. Love that. One of the other things that I think can be a challenge with specifically your type of uh, like what you teach when it comes to mindset and breathwork and all these things that are non-traditional in a Western sense is that probably a lot of people in these communities, they have bigger things to worry about than seeking out all of these various treatments. And so I'm curious, like in many cases, what you teach is probably the thing that can solve all their problems, but they might have no idea it exists. So how do you spread the word in those communities and kind of establish a presence there so that they can actually find their way back to you and your programs? Oh, one of the big things has been having a free podcast, right? That has been beyond my, you know, sliding scale, my one-on-one work, having the Feminist Wellness Podcast available on every channel ever, every Thursday for free, where I, I give away the farm, you know what I mean? Like I, I have worked really hard. I know the whole sales and marketing thing is to like, you explain the why and they pay you for the how. I get it. And oh, well, <laughs> right? Like I, I give away the how-to, a lot of free PDFs, a lot of free worksheets to do, again, to do what I can to try to give the knowledge I've been so privileged to gain over these years to the world. Mm-hmm. I love that. So one of the other things, kind of shifting gears a little bit here to another area of social justice that we hear a lot about every day and probably don't often think applies to us as uh, people in the wellness space is I was listening to you on another podcast and you were talking about how the specific form of breath work that you teach is a centuries or thousands of year old practice from a culture that is not your own. And so Many of the alternative medicines that a practitioner might be specializing in, whether it is breathwork or yoga or acupuncture, any of these things, maybe from a culture outside of their own, and most likely it is. So I'm curious what we need to be aware of, in your opinion, and what is our responsibility when it comes to teaching those? And I mean, if we're building businesses around them, profiting as well off of them. Yeah, gosh, I love that question. So I think we get to check our entitlement, right? I am not entitled to pranayama. It's, you know, I am not Indian. It is not or, or, or of that region or that corner of the planet at all. It is not mine to own. It is not mine to claim as that, uh, of, as my own lineage or that of my ancestors. And so I am careful and thoughtful and do my best. And I'm sure I F up because 
I'm a mammal and we F up, which takes us back to our previous conversation of how do you begin to shift these things, right? You start by getting really comfortable with the fact that you're gonna F it up and you're gonna get either called in or called out depending on how bad you F up. But uh, naming it is one of the most important things we can do. So when I do teach pranayama, I say, this is pranayama, exactly what you said, right? This is not mine. And likewise, in the soundtracks I share, my playlists, I have music from all sorts of cultures, all sorts of languages. And it really takes about four seconds to simply say, I will be sharing things that are not mine with an energy of appreciation, not appropriation. I'm not taking this as a culture vulture to say, this is mine now. Like it's just not. And I think we, we can extend this to pretty much everything we do in our practices. And it's just, it's just about being mindful, really. It's just an extension of the mindfulness we all preach. You know, so one of my courses is about organizing your life. So my focus is working with folks within the framework of codependency, perfectionism, and people pleasing. And one of the things we chronically do is give away our time, right? Sort of disavow ownership of our own time in our own lives. So I teach a course called Reclaim Your Time. The phrase really, I mean, I think it was popularized by Maxine Waters and it takes two seconds to name up the black woman who brought this phrase into popular parlance. Two seconds, like honors to Maxine Waters. And it's a step, right? And then donations, right? Tithing as it were is really important to me. And just making sure that the income that's coming in from the folks who are able to pay at the top of that sliding scale, who help fill my proverbial cup and keep me and my staff paid and keep the podcast running, that I'm donating every chance I can to the things that matter to me. Yeah. So just to play devil's advocate a little bit, I think most people who might be teaching any any practice that is not of their culture would say, well, I'm not trying to own this. I'm not saying in any way that I own this. This is just something that, you know, I was inspired by such and such teacher where I found that this worked for me. And so I want to share that with other people. So I think that that's probably most people are coming from a good hearted place. They're not trying to steal it. But why does it matter to still say that, to take those four seconds to acknowledge that? Yeah, I'll say if you're not trying to own it and steal it, then why not just name the lineage? Why not? Check your own resistance, right? Like, why would you even begin to resist naming the culture from which this practice came? Why is that a sticking point, right? When people from those communities who have been historically marginalized are saying, this matters to me. Why not just do that, right? So that's, that's a moment to check your privilege, your entitlement, and what matters. Does it feel like it takes something away from you? If so, that's somewhere to, to dig deeper in your own spirit and to ask yourself what you're making that mean about you. You mentioned getting called in or called out previously there. And I think that this is something that is so difficult to navigate. So many people want to get involved and take a stance on something, but are scared of getting called out. They're probably specifically scared of getting called out more so than getting called in. But I'm curious if you can share a time that, that sticks in your memory of getting either called out or called in and what you learned from that and how that like has been a benefit to you in the long run in, I mean, your life and your business and growing as a human. This is fascinating. The first thing that popped into my brain was from 
20 years ago. So when I was at Oberlin in my third and fourth year, together with a colleague co-chair, the Latino organization on campus. And there were so many beautiful times that I was both called in and out about being a white passing, white presenting Latina and running this organization that was mostly black and brown folks, right? And white Latinos too, but that wasn't the focus and needed very much to not be in order to be supportive to the majority of Latinos on campus and in the surrounding communities. And that opportunity gave me the chance to see my own resiliency and to see how what a beautiful gift it is for someone else to give you their labor. Because that's the thing that I think we miss, right? When someone is taking their limited human energy to say, hey, babe, you done wrong. That is a wild gift. It is such a gift for someone to say, I analyzed your work here. I have feedback for you, right? And so we can take that opportunity to say, my goodness, thank you. Thank you. I will take your words. I will thank you for your labor. I will work harder. I will do better. I will really investigate my own mind, which is the the central tenet of my work is learning to be your own watcher and see your own mind and, and your own machinations that are so often below the surface and keep us running on problematic scripts. And so if all of my colleagues at the Latino organization at Oberlin hadn't said, hey, babe, check yourself, I would have in fact wrecked myself. Ha ha. But, <laughs> but seriously, right, without the labor of all those people who said, the way you said X, Y, Z just doesn't work. The way you're positioning yourself doesn't work. You are creating harm. Then I got to check my impact Right. So again, it was this very early lesson. And I can think I can roll it, you know, the movie back 20 years. I'm sure I defended my intention. I'm a hundred percent positive. The codependency I was rolling in meant that I was super defensive. Right. And when we are defensive, we are defending ego and we are not holding space for growth. And we are not holding space to be at a bare minimum an ally but much better an accomplice or a co-conspirator. And so uh, again, someone's giving you that chance to step up from doing that really optical allyship, which is so popular on the gram these days, to like actually really, really stepping up mind, body, spirit, and action. I love this idea of how being called in and told that we may be causing unintended harm with our words or actions is actually a gift and a deep sign of care and even love. In thinking further about this concept after the interview, it occurred to me that we all recognize the necessity of feedback in making the work we do better. We send our clients feedback forms and ask our peers, mentors, and mastermind groups for advice on how we can improve various elements of our businesses. And yet, when it comes to how our words or actions are affecting other people, our default is often to protest against any or all accusations that we may have caused pain of any kind. Racism is a loaded concept, and most of us are so afraid to be labeled as a racist that we avoid the topic altogether. If we want to improve, however, and build better, more equitable, more accessible, and more inclusive businesses, we need to take a long, clear, hard look 
at how we've been socialized to perpetuate unjust systems and then seek to rewire our own operating systems. This involves not just accepting, but welcoming and actively seeking out feedback on how our work is impacting the people who engage with it, especially if they're people with different histories and lived experiences from us. Good feedback is always uncomfortable, but it's the only way to improve. All right, let's get back to the interview. So while I was listening to a lot of uh, doing research for this episode and listening to a number of different interviews that you'd done, I mentioned this to you before we started that I realized how almost everything that you talk about in regards to your clients could apply equally to entrepreneurs and business owners. And I think for a lot of times I come back to this like health of the body, health of the business, there is so much crossover there. And especially most of us are solopreneurs where we, we need to be healthy physically in order to run the business and mentally to run the business. And so let's shift gears and talk a little bit about how what you do applies to entrepreneurs and business owners specifically. Oh, with great joy. Yeah. <laughs> so I've heard you say, when one of us heals, we help heal the world. And that when you experience this, your own healing rippled out to your clients. And I think that this is something that probably most people in the wellness world believe, but may not always practice. So looking at ourselves and taking care of ourselves first is obviously very important. And you were kind of talking about this fight or flight and the stress responses before, which I think this is just a core part of what it means to be an entrepreneur and a business owner is there is just a million things coming at us constantly. We need to be thinking on our feet. There's a lot of pressure on needing to deliver, whether it's just ourselves and our families or our team members and and, and then the deliverables for our clients. So I'm curious, like how you see that kind of play out with entrepreneurs, business owners, and how that can either kind of torpedo their businesses or cause a lot of problems, or if they can get ahead of this and on top of it, really help them create these thriving businesses. Yeah. What's coming to mind first and foremost is codependency, perfectionism, and people pleasing. I mean, again, when you externalize your sense of value and worth as a human, as a practitioner, as a coach, as a yoga teacher, as an entrepreneur, when you make it about attempting to please other people versus showing up in your authenticity to say like, here I am, this is what I offer. If you want it, you can have it. And engaging with the folks who want you versus chasing the world. I remember when I first left primary care and established my private practice doing functional medicine in New York City, I took all comers, right? Like I took every patient. So I'd have like a dude with chronic prostatitis in front of me and I'd be like, I have no idea what to do, right? So I'd spend 20 hours researching, talk to all these herbs. Like I was outside of my passion, my expertise, my joy, my authenticity because I wanted to please everyone and frankly, money, right? Like I was nervous and I had staff for the first time and like needed to pay people, wanted to, you know, pay myself with all my student debt. So I, I worked outside of what filled, what filled me up, right? From, from anxiety and frankly, from people pleasing. And so there's a difference. You know, I talk a lot about how Yes, what you do, the action you take is super important, but the energy behind it, right? The thought and the feeling that thought creates for you 
is, is really super duper vital. So to like make it super basic, you can do the dishes with resentment and grumpiness because your partner didn't do them and they said they would do them. Or you can just say well, like, oh, that, that human was really busy today. I'll do the dishes from a place of love. And you're doing the same task with wildly different energy, creating a different outcome for you. So, so too in our businesses, we can do things from either that place of being of service, right? And providing value ahead of time, right? Which is what my podcast is, the free PDFs, right? The free videos, the free webinars. This is all to provide service. And I do go above and beyond for my clients, right? They get presents in the mail. They get surprise meditations to their email. But it's from the energy of, I love you. I support you. I want to take care of you, but not caretake you because I'm actually not your mom and I'm not your dad and I'm not your grandma. Like, you know what I mean? Like not that like care over energy and not thinking that I have to be all things to all people. That was a big one for me at the beginning, right? Was that I had to like solve all the problems and getting really comfortable with saying like, not my area of expertise, babe. Like that's, that's not me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's funny. I think people often gravitate to two extremes. There's the, the side where people are really like grasping for everything that they can get. It never feels like enough. And they don't have this kind of generous approach to their businesses and their marketing. And they're just trying to like get every last dollar they can out of people because there doesn't feel like there's enough. And then there's the other side where people are giving so much and feel icky about charging. And that is a whole different problem where I know you said before, when it comes to your health, like you need to look after yourself first and you're not going to be able to help other people if you're not looking after yourself. And part of that is like charging what you're worth and making sure that you are in a stable place. Because if, if you can't charge enough to keep the business going, you can't help anyone. Exactly. Exactly. And I mostly encounter this in, I do business coaching as well with human socialized as women, right? From day one, we hear things like, oh, take care of your little brother, right? Like, oh, help me set the table where like the boys are out playing, right? And we are taught that taking care of others is our, our life's work. It is this primary function. And so to go all the way back to why feminism, this balance, right? And again, feminism is for humans of every single possible gender across the spectrum and for humans with no gender as well. But it comes back to this central teaching that I am here to be of service and support from a place that feels supportive for me, if that makes sense, right? Not to serve the collective wellness, which I profoundly believe in, right? We, we all need to heal together. Humans need each other. We are pack animals, but yeah, I mean, gosh, I think it was my fourth or fifth, it was pretty early on in my primary care career that I was just not peeing because I was at a clinic where being on time was the most important thing. Like you'd get called in for being two to three minutes late to start appointments, which on one hand, I'm like, oh, dude, that's awesome. But it's really rough on providers. And I just wasn't peeing. And I got this wild kidney infection. I was like hospitalized for days as a really healthy young person, right? So really balancing that self, other, 
giving, receiving, which can be so challenging. And to your point, I was out of the clinic for three weeks. So like I was of service to literally 0.0 people during that time, right? So maybe do you have any like practices or reset techniques for people who like might have this day-to-day stress or you're talking even about mindset before and doing the dishes from one mindset versus another. Do you have any way to like catch yourself and, and reset so that you can kind of approach the same task differently? Yeah, absolutely. So this is the cornerstone of what I teach in my practice, the thought work protocol. I love a protocol. What kind of nerd doesn't love an algorithm, right? Oh yeah. Love it. Love it. So learning to look at the circumstances of life, and I have an important caveat, as neutral as a thought exercise, right? And so we start there because our brains are habituated That's how neurons work, right? What fires together, wires together. You believe a thing, right? Like bears eat beets. Patients need all of these things from me. Like I need to send patients this 40 point follow-up email or like the 250 or 750, whatever they invested, they'll feel ripped off or they feel like they won't. You know what I mean? Like these stories that were like, right. Oh my God. I used to send these emails. I like found one cleaning my Gmail the other day. It was literally 14 points. And I was like, oh, Vic, you probably sent that poor sweet human right into sympathetic thinking I have to do these a thousand things or I won't like heal, which is just bullshit, total bull. But circumstances. So we look at the circumstances in life as neutral, as a thought exercise, in order to see where our habitual thinking is keeping us on this one path, because it's the path we've known. It's the story we've created. My caveat here is that there are many things in this world that I do not see as neutral, racism, genocide, etc. right? So I, it's really important to me to voice that. So we look at things like what a patient follow-up email looks like as a neutral circumstance. Not good, not bad, not nothing, just neutral, court admissible fact. You write down your thought about that neutral circumstance and then feel into your body. And this somatic step is, is not to be skipped. And it's funny as folks who talk so much about health and wellness, how many of us just emotionally bypass or spiritually bypass the mm-hmm. step of really, really sitting in the suffering and the discomfort of these stories we've been telling for years and years, right? So for me, looking at the fact that that 14-point email was coming from people-pleasing, scarcity, worry, not enoughness, attempting to prove my worth by throwing lots of words at people Come on, Vic, right? So sitting with that, again, it's the acceptance step is feeling the feelings. It sucks. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's frankly terrible. And it's the only way through, right? Like you can't hop over this forest. So circumstance, thought, feelings, and then ask yourself when you're full up with this feeling, with this emotion, with resentment about the dishes, anxiety about the patient email, right? Trying to get that GI maps evaluation perfect. Mm -hmm. What's the action you take from that energy? And often when it's one of these challenging emotions, it's, it's not a positive action. It's not something that moves your life, that of your business, that of your patients, your clients forward, but rather is often rumination, further anxiety, sending that ridiculous email, right? Or doing the dishes really loudly, which I have certainly done 
just to make sure everybody knows that I am putting myself out. And, and then you look at the result. What is the result that you create for yourself? Not the other person. That's not your business in this moment of the work, right? You can look at impact later, but first getting in touch with the result you create for you and simply asking yourself, do I like this? Does this work for me? Do I want to continue to create and recreate this scenario in my life? And if not, you get to go back and decide how you'd rather feel, the results you'd rather create and change that thought, that old limiting belief that has kept you stuck in this same pattern. I love how Victoria talks about first acknowledging the feelings, experiences, and the results you're creating for yourself. I've definitely been in the same position as Victoria, where I felt such pressure to over-deliver that I ended up overwhelming clients, burning myself out, and negatively impacting other areas of my life, such as my health and relationships. Something that I've come to realize is that there's often a disconnect between what we think our clients need and what would actually be most helpful to them. Rather than the overwhelming 14-point list that Victoria mentioned, it would likely be more useful to send one or two targeted recommendations that a client could apply immediately and start seeing positive results. The problem is that, especially in our first few years in business, we all feel like imposters. This can lead us to go to extreme lengths to prove to our clients and ourselves that we know what we're doing. The first step to overcoming this is recognition, being able to notice when you're falling into this pattern and catch yourself. You might still feel the urge to go above and beyond, maybe even to a ridiculous degree, but when you catch yourself in the act, you can take a moment to ask yourself, why am I really doing this? Is it because this is really going to be what's best for my client? Or is it because I feel like I need to prove to them that I know what I'm doing? The results won't be immediate, but over time, the recognition and acknowledgement can help us accept the underlying drivers of our actions and work to change them. Yeah, and always that reminder to bring in gentleness and love and compassion, because I know no group of humans who's harder on ourselves than healthcare providers and solopreneurs, right? Like we are driven mammals. And I think it behooves us to pause and ask why we are so driven, right? If we're running towards something or running away from something, and if that running away is ourselves, right? And to be gentle and kind. I used to be so mean to myself when I was in primary care if I had like more than five unsigned charts. Oh my gosh, so mean, <laughs> this, right? Yeah, this... um brings up something else that I remember hearing you say before was you can only take your clients as deep as you're willing to go yourself. And so I think that going into these feelings and acknowledging these things, like that's going to help everyone again, like it's looking after yourself and you can then help your, your patients and your clients even further than you were already doing by also being healthier yourself. Absolutely. A hundred ten percent. Yeah. It's really challenging. You know, 15 years ago when I was starting this stuff, it was so easy to be like, yeah, just like make 72 hour bone broth and then like only eat organic and like do all these things. But until you're the one like trying to manage a crock pot for two to three days, right? To just go to like the most simplest thing. What are you doing? You know, like where's the integrity, right? And I also know that until I started doing my own work on my own habitual thoughts, I didn't realize like in primary care, like many primary care and functional medicine providers, I was wicked codependent with my patients. 
And I will freely own that I would say things like, why aren't they just doing what I said? Why? Which is such a frequent, constant refrain in this world. Like, oh, well, I mean, if she just did, like took all the supplements and ate the perfect diet, but like, we're not thinking about the trauma, the stress, the inequalities, all the things that may be getting in our client's way, right? The difference is when you are doing your own work and you're looking at your own trauma, you are inviting people to come with you. So 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I used to say in meditation, close your eyes. And now I say, I invite you to close your eyes or lower your gaze because I don't control other people's bodies. And I used to think it was my job to do so because they wanted to get healthy and I had the tool. So I had to tell them. I love, again, this just ties back perfectly into the business side of things and marketing and who among us hasn't felt this resentment or frustration of we might be have people who follow us on Instagram or on our newsletter or our podcast or whatever it is that we do. And they like never buy anything, but we, they still like leave comments like, oh, I'm struggling this with this. What would you do? And you're like, okay, I have this program and it's like $50. It's like affordable. Like, why won't you just take this? And so often it's because we are not presenting it in the right way. And we can get kind of a little aggro about like our own, the people who are following us, who are part of our community. And it's about like, okay, actually looking at, okay, where are they actually at? What have they tried? Did they know about all these initial steps leading up to this pro uh, product or offer? Have they done these things? What am I missing that is the reason that they're not taking me up on this no-brainer offer kind of? And so I love how that just ties right back into that again. Yeah. And also recognizing like that making change is really hard. Like it's a very challenging mm -hmm. thing. And so, and people have a lot, particularly with perfectionism, have a lot of fear and worry about investing in a $4 product, right? Like it's never about the price tag when the actual issue is fear that it won't be the right thing, that you'll raise your hopes and you'll get disappointed and then, and I think this is that primary block for so many of the people that I work with in particular, but we could say for maybe humans as a whole, this fear that we'll be really mean to ourselves, right? That we will beat ourselves up. Like, oh, I did that course, but my gut's not perfect. And I heard this in clinic a ton and I hear it from my life coaching clients. Like, you know, I did the probiotic for like a month. Why is my poop not magical? right? Like I haven't pooped a rainbow in years. I haven't pooped an actual unicorn, but it's that fear that people will be really, 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 really mean to themselves that keeps them from investing. If you're looking to grow your audience, guesting on podcasts is one of the best ways to increase your exposure and spread your message. And it's totally doable yourself. When done right, Guesting on other shows allows you to get in front of hundreds or even thousands of your ideal clients and then pull them back to your own content. I put together a free mini course to help you understand how to target the right shows for you and make pitches that actually get you booked. To sign up for the course, just head over to betterwellness.biz slash podcast guesting to get the first video in your inbox today. So I'd love to transition and talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts of your business before we wrap up here. So I'm curious yeah. to start off. Uh, I know you have the podcast, you do a lot of stuff online, have a, a number of different programs, and you obviously have a, a number of different interests as well. So I'm curious, what are you seeing as the main kind of drivers for growth right now in your business and what you're doing? 
just showing up wholeheartedly and authentically, just being my weird little self and just owning it. I used to be a little like apologetic about being such a nerd in the life coach space because it's not always that space. And it was actually Cher Hale, because this is just the Cher Hale Appreciation Club, apparently. But she was like, hey, hi, can you cut it out? Can you just like be declarative? Like, I'm a total effing nerd for the nervous system and polyvagal and the interplay with the body and the spirit and the mind and the chakras and the, the just be and the office. Cause come on. And parks and rec. I mean, let's be real, but but mostly the office for real. So yeah, just being like my total freak show self and like honestly no longer giving a what people think about it, which is challenging because I was socialized and conditioned to care so much about what other people think about me. But it, it got me hospitalized, you know, like it didn't serve me. It didn't lead me to grow. And so the people who want the support of someone who is authentically her weird self find this weirdo and are like, oh, hey, nerdy, weird, weirdo. Let's hang out. I love that too, because like when you let that shine through and especially in a space where like that's not the norm, all of a sudden you stand out and sure, maybe 90% of the people, maybe even more say like, oh, gross. Like I don't want anything to do with a nerd in the life coaching space. But then there's this like other small group who is like, yes, please, more of this. We haven't had any of this from any of the life coaches I've looked at. I haven't found anyone who like gets me, who speaks my language. And that small group, even if this is like single digit percentages of the whole, that is still like way more people than you need to support your business. So like show up, be yourself, be weird. And there are people out there who will resonate with that. Yeah. And it comes back to like wanting to serve the people who want to be served by you, right? Like I'm not out here selling cheese to the lactose intolerant, you know, like they do not want my product, but yeah, the people who are like, say Krebs cycle, I want them and they want me. And so we're joyful together and they get so much from my work. Yeah. And, and I would argue that probably they get better results and yes. everyone has a better experience and they actually get better, like measurable outcomes uh, than someone working with someone who's not a good fit for them. 127.4%. So, That's the percent. <laughs> so what uh, do you feel is, we've talked a lot about a lot of social justice and feminism and all these things. I'm curious what yeah. you think about um, when it comes to business as the responsibility of business owners, when it comes to, you know, more than just the actual thing you're giving your customers or patients or clients or whatever that might be. What Beyond that deliverable, what's the responsibility to our greater communities or, or world? Well, I think particularly for those of us who have the visible public platform, I think it, it is incumbent upon us to speak up, to recognize our privilege and to use it in support of those, again, who have been historically marginalized and to share Black Lives Matter to, you know, it was Marsha P. Johnson's birthday the other day, right? To remind folks that like, you know, maybe you've gone to Pride and it was a party, but like Stonewall was a riot led by black and brown trans women who were beat up by the cops chronically, right? I think it is absolutely, with privilege comes responsibility. 
And so it is our, I truly believe it is our responsibility to elevate the voices of those who have been historically silenced. Awesome. I'm curious, what is a change that you've made to your day-to-day to introduce more ease into your life? Whew. Doing my daily thought work, writing out circumstance, thought, feeling, action, result every morning, whether I wake up you know, full of vim and vega and like ready to live this beautiful day and it's sunshine and puppies and rainbows out, I still pause to make sure that I'm sort of like lifting the lid on my own brain to see what's going on in there because I learn so much. And the more I'm in touch with my own mind, the more of that loving connection we can have where there's that sort of that conversation between mind and body flows with more ease. And I can, yeah, just be in touch with those cycles instead of just like living without intention or living from habit, right? I'm just so done with living from habit and conditioning. Like, no thanks, you know? I love that. (laughs) So I like to say that this is a show that is disguised as a show about building better wellness businesses, but is really about building a better world. So in line with the title, I'm curious what comes up for you when you hear the phrase building better. Ooh, I love that. And I love the sneakiness. So uh, building better, I think it is about really stepping into our individual power to be a force for good, for equality, for equity, for raising the standard of living, raising the opportunity, just being of service, just taking each and every opportunity to be of service. Remembering collective healing is vital and being of service does fill your own cup when it's coming from that energy of service, right? When it's coming from the energy of I want to be part of making this world around me better in whatever limited time I have here. I was a hospice nurse and I remember so powerfully those conversations with dying people where they they talked about being of service. They talked about loving. They talked about when people were generous with them and they had the opportunity to be generous and kind and caring with other humans. And I think that's what we, what we take with us in our transition is remembering those times when you, man, when you, when you stop worrying about your Hootsuite layout and your grid and you like, we're like, I'm going to go volunteer. I'm going to go check in on a vulnerable elder or like, oh, I know like this kid on the third floor of my building is immunocompromised. I'm going to the grocery store. Let me see if they need anything right? So it's about the micro and the macro of doing that big work of looking at where we may be part of the problem with love and kindness and an open heart, but really doing that work at the same time. And it's really about doing that with a gentleness, this balance of gentle but firm dedication. I'm so grateful to have been introduced to Victoria and to have had the opportunity to talk with her about the roles that feminism and social justice play in our businesses. These are topics that I think most of us know are important, but they often don't feel urgent. As a result, they get put on the back burner and we fail to take meaningful action. This episode really opened up my eyes and gave me some practical solutions to make my business more accessible and inclusive. And I hope it did the same for you. 
After listening to this episode, I'd love to hear about a way in which you might have been falling short in your business so far when it comes to these issues, or a practical way in which you're working to make your business more inclusive and accessible. You can head over to betterwellness.biz voice and leave me a voicemail, and I'd love to feature your response on an upcoming episode. For me, while our team at Counterweight Creative currently has a 50-50 gender split, when it comes to diversity in other areas, I have a lot of work to do. As I'm looking ahead to making a couple of new hires over the next year, I'm going to work really hard to ensure that we're doing the extra legwork up front to get a diverse group of applicants as a starting point, which is something that I know will be a challenge given that my current professional network is pretty homogenous. You can find out more about Victoria at victoriaalbina.com. There you can download a suite of free meditations addressing setting boundaries, perfectionism, stress response, and more. On her website, you'll also find links to her fantastic podcast, Feminist Wellness, as well as her Instagram account at Victoria Albina Wellness. As always, you can find all those links and more in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at betterwellness.biz slash 015. In next week's episode, I'm going to be talking with Ryan Coral, a longtime friend and client, all about online course creation and marketing funnels. Ryan runs a video production studio that works with online content creators to help them create and market high quality online courses. He's also one of the biggest hearted, purest intention people I know. And he's been a huge inspiration for me as a content creator, business owner, marketer, and human. This episode was produced by our amazing team at Counterweight Creative. Big thanks in particular to Tom Kelly for his help editing the audio, Karina Penner for her work on the show notes, Ari Lombardozzi for video editing support, and Casey Bowen and Francesca Mamlin for their behind the scenes work, keeping everything running smoothly and on schedule. Finally, to you listening, I know this episode covered some uncomfortable topics, but if you've made it this far, I appreciate you. Seriously, you're doing important work and I'm glad to have you on this journey. Thanks again for listening and until next time, keep building better. Better.